is something brand new in relationship to the Spirit of God that nobody ever in history has ever experienced the Spirit of God on this level and in this way. It's going to be a completely new thing in relationship to the Spirit of the Lord. So He's preparing them for the age of the spirits when He is physically absent from them. Okay? So you with me so far? Very, very powerful, powerful truths. I ask that you pray for me and I'm able to declare this word to you. Okay, verse 31, Therefore, when He was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. Judas Iscariot has left. He is gone. As soon as Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, walks out, the Lord says, makes that statement, okay? Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. Verse 32, If God be glorified in Him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. He's talking about going to the cross. Okay, now is the Son of Man glorified? He's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. Okay, you with me so far? So since Judas Iscariot is gone out, this is what's going to happen. The glorification of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection is what he's talking about. Verse 33, look at it carefully. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. He, he addresses them in very intimate terms and very tender terms. He calls his disciples little children, yet a little while I am with you. Now I want you to catch that. Don't, don't just read over that real quick. When he says little children, yet a little while I am with you, I want you to understand that he's speaking as the Father there. Okay? He's not speaking as the Son. He's speaking as the Father. See, in the mind of a lot of people, a Trinitarian thought is that the Son is separate from the Father. But when He addresses His disciples as little children, yet, yet a little while I am with you. When He says, I am with you, He is speaking to them as the Father. This is a proof that he is the Father, okay? So he addresses them in very, very tender terms. He says, again, yet a little while I'm with you, ye shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, you cannot come, so now I say to you. Now, can you get this, what he's saying? So I'm fixing to leave you. I'm fixing to be gone. As you know me now. Right? You're going to seek me, he says. Correct? And as I said in the Jews, and we've already covered this past, whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you. So he's going away, and he's telling them, you can't come with me. Verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So at this point, he's telling them there is a new level of love that's fixing to be released into the earth. It's fixing to be a new covenant kind of love. A kind of love that the world has never experienced. Okay? I think I'll just pray because I feel an unction to go ahead and teach you. So let me pray. Father, I just come before you right now. I ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. And I give you all the glory and the honor and the praise for all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
So he's telling them that he's going away. He's telling them, them that he's going to be glorified at this time. This is after Judas Iscariot has left. Verse 34, he tells them about a new commandment. This is a new commandment in relationship to a new covenant that he's about to set up. He's about to establish a brand new order, a brand new covenant, a brand new age. It's the age of the spirits, and there's going to be a love in relationship to that new covenant that has never been seen in the world. And he's telling his disciples to walk in that love or yield to that kind of love that he's going to display as he redeems us on the cross. That kind of love. He's telling us to operate in that kind of love. Okay? Now, the Bible tells us, look at verse 34, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. This is what's going to get you back together. When he's taken from them and they are scattered, that, are y'all with me? What's going to bring them back to the Lord Jesus Christ and what's going to bring them back together as a church, a group of disciples, is their love. Their love for the Lord and their love for each other is going to bring the scattered back together. You see we Okay. He's telling them for a reason. He's telling them to love uh, as he's loved. And the reason is because they're fixing to separate. They're fixing to be scattered as a result of his death on the cross. And, and so this is what's going to pull them back together. This is what's going to gather them back together. Amen? Now, ultimately, when we go through things in life, it's our love for the Lord and it's our love for each other that gathers us back together. Okay? Because if there wasn't love for God, and if there wasn't love for each other, none of us would be here tonight. You understand that? Okay, so you're going to go through a lot of things in life, a lot of disappointments, a lot of trials, and a lot of tests. But when you walk in this kind of love that Jesus is talking about, because the text or the context of, of it is, he's telling them, I'm fixing to leave you. Okay? But you need to love one another, and that will that's going to bring them back together. That's going to cause you to gather. Hallelujah. Why did you come to church tonight? And maybe others didn't. Okay, maybe some's working. I don't know. They don't tell me. But anyway, I'm just telling you. Uh, so they could be here and it can't be. The reason why you're here and they're not is because you have a love for God and a love for each other. Now, you can play the little, you know, middle gymnastics and say, I love God and not go to church. I don't believe that. I don't believe that you can love God and love the church without gathering in the church so when you love each other and you love the Lord, you're going to, you might be scattered temporarily, but you will come back together. You will gather together again. That is the way, that's the way of God. So because I love the Lord and because I love you, I'm here tonight. Because you love the Lord and because you love each other, you're here tonight. And we're in a new covenant with a new kind of love that is just awesome. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's not, it's not in the world. That, this kind of love is, you cannot find this kind of love in the world. It can only be found in the new covenants and it can only be found in the church. Okay? It is something that is brand new that the world has never seen before. Okay? Now, in those days after Jesus was crucified, you know, crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended, when the church started gathering together, times of persecution hit them, their love for God and their love for each other kept them together. 
the Romans would literally send spies into the churches. Okay? Because they wanted to check out what this people of the way were like. Okay? Because they saw them in the streets all over the place. And these people were very, very different from the rest of the world. They acted different. They lived different. They talked different. Um, they dressed different, you know. Their ways were totally different from the rest of the world. So the Romans would send spies into the church. They would go back and they would report it to the officials what they saw. And they said, when we go into their meetings, they meet in houses, okay? And there they worship with no image. And they worship one that is named the Lord Jesus Christ, who is absent, they said, but yet... They said the way the church was worshiping him was even though he was not present, they acted like he was coming soon. And the next thing they noticed was, oh, how they loved each other. And when they went and reported these things to the high officials, it just completely boggled their minds. They couldn't understand a people gathering and worshiping an invisible one, you know, that is called called by the name of Jesus and who's not present but is expected to come back any time. And, and there's no images there, but the love was the thing that just boggled their mind, the kind of love that was in that church. And that's the way they reported the meetings in the churches in that day, what those meetings were like. Praise the Lord. Now, I wonder if they came in here. I wonder if spies came in here. Well, they, they would say these people worship with no image. We don't have idols. We don't have, we're not praying to saints. We're not praying, uh, we don't have any images, okay? So, amen, praise the Lord. So, we got that right. No images, okay? We don't even have a cross hanging, hanging in the back with Jesus on it. No, we just, no images, right? So, we got that right. And we worship the one who is invisible to the eye. We got that right. Whose name is Jesus Christ. We've got that right. And we are expecting him to return at any time. We've got that right. But what about love? If they were to come in here, would they find love here? And I would say yes. They would find love here. This is a very unique church. This church is very unique in the sense that it is so family. This church is, you know, you have your immediate family, but this church, you're so close. You're, you're so connected, you know. It, it, that's very unique. You don't find that in every church. The closeness that's in this church, you don't find that everywhere. Praise God. So I would say if they did come in here, they would find a love that is supernatural that is not found in the world. A closeness. You understand? That, that would probably boggle their mind, realistically, to be honest with you, okay? Amen. Now, that doesn't mean we have uh, difficulties at times, but, you know, it doesn't negate the fact that we love each other, we love God, we come back together, praise the Lord. And uh, so I believe if there was a spy sent to this house, that you would find that. Now, question is, as a corporate body, you would find that, but would they find that in you individually? 
as a believer. Do you love the Lord? Would you lift your hand if you love the Lord? Next question is, do you really love each other? Would you lift your hand if you really love each other? Yeah. I anticipated maybe one or two not lifting their hand. At least they're honest. But I'm telling you, Jesus commands it. He says a new commandment. It's a commandment that we love each other. It's not based on your feelings or emotions. You are, we are commanded to love each other. Amen? It's not just saying, I love you. It's the way you treat each other. It's the way we treat each other. Praise the Lord. And so that's what's going to bring them together. In times of great persecution, in times of great difficulty, their love for the Lord and their love for each other in this new covenant. Okay? So praise God. He's speaking to them as Father. Now, Verse 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. He doesn't say they're going to know that you're his disciples if you speak in tongues. Now we as the church will look at you, you've been baptized in his name, you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, you speak with other tongues, right? And you live holy, and we in the church can recognize that you're a believer by those things. Okay? But when the world looks at you, they don't say that's a disciple of Jesus Christ because they speak in tongues or dress a certain way or, you understand, or baptize you. They say you're a disciple of Jesus Christ when they see your love one for another. That's the world's, okay, uh, estimation of a true disciple. Those people love each other. Okay? Amen. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? There's no love there. They don't look at you as a disciple. You may dress. You may, I speak in tongues. Well, good. But the world is, according to the Lord, if you're his true disciple, then you will love one another. And it is a commandment. It is not something you can choose if you want or you don't want. It is a commandment from God that you love each other like Christ loved the church and if you don't, you will stumble. You will stumble in your walk with God. Eventually, you may not even have a walk with God. You may not even be in the church in the future because you're stumbling in the area of your love. Okay? And when somebody stumbles like that, they normally want to point the finger at the church. Say the church doesn't love them. I've been down that road so many times, man. You know, it, it's just a, it's, it's a joke to me. I laugh at that, okay? It's like the Proverbs talked about there's something going on in their life. That's the problem because this church is a loving church. If you can't make it in this church, you're going to have a hard time making it anywhere. Okay? Just the way it is. But a lot of times when people stumble in this area and they refuse to gather in the church and love each other, it is because they have a problem. Okay? To be honest with you, do you, you don't have to believe me, but I'm just telling you the truth. Because your love for God and love for each other will overcome. It will overcome. Yeah. And like I say, I've been there so many times. I mean, we, and it leaves me scratching my head, especially when we first heard of the church. I'm thinking of one particular young woman. We did everything we can to love her, to help her, and pray for her and everything. And she, you know, on the workplace talked about how we, you know, we didn't love her. I'm going, what are you talking about, man? Okay. 
Well, it wasn't us. It was her. You understand? So, we are commanded to love one another. It will bring you together. Your love for God and your love for each other. If you love God and you love each other, you will come together. You will gather in His church. Okay? Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I didn't get a real good... There wasn't a big lot of shouting going on there. Pretty quiet here tonight. But that's the one thing, along with those I mentioned, but that in reading the historical background of the church, it blew the Romans' mind. They had never seen anything like that. That kind of love. Amen. Okay. If you, want to, if you want to test it, you've been in the church for a little while and you want to test it, why don't you go out there and try the world again and see if you find in the world what you find in this house. You, you want to, you're sitting there right now in unbelief. You're saying, I don't believe the church loves me and I don't believe there's a lot of love in the church. You go out there in the world and then you come back and you tell me. You tell me. Okay? Because I believe that there's love in this church. Praise God. So. And they're fixing to go through a tremendous trial, a tremendous test, right? And that's what's going to bring them back together. So in this new covenant, a new commandment, he says, I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And this is not the world's kind of love. This is not eros. This is not erotic kind of love. This is not phileo. It's not just friendship kind of love. This is agape. This is the God kind of love. It's sacrificial love, but it's always based in truth. It's always based in truth. It's not some kind of wishy-washy, humanistic, philosophical kind of love that condones sin and condones wrong. Okay? So I, maybe I just need to define love for you Go to 1 Corinthians 13 and read the definition of love. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. When we really walk in the love of God, it's not this mushy kind of condoning kind of love that the world is, is offering. Amen. Praise God. It's rooted in truth. It's rooted in relationship with Jesus Christ. All right, so praise the Lord for that. Verse 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. How many want to love more? How many want to love better? I do too. I do too. It's something you have to yield to. See, he's going to talk to us as he goes through these chapters. He's going to talk to us about some very important things. He's going to talk to you about commandments that must be obeyed. He doesn't separate commandments from love. He will look at his disciples and he says, as a disciple... Commandments, these are the commandments that I'm going to leave with you that you need to obey. Commandments that must be obeyed. Number two, love that must be yielded to. Peace that must be entered into. And joy that can be experienced. That's what he will talk about in these chapters right before his crucifixion. That make sense? Let me say it again. Commandments that must be obeyed. Love that must be yielded to. Peace that must be entered into. And joy that must be experienced. Okay? Verse 36. 
Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. He's like a little kid. Where are you going, Lord? I want to go with you. What do you mean? What do you mean you're going to go and I can't follow you? I can't come with you. It's like a little kid. What do you mean, man? I, I want to go too. I want to go too. Can I go? Can I go? Can I go? You talk about leaving us here, you know? Come on, let us go. It's like a little kid. It's Peter. He's a strong fisherman, strong disciple, but he's got little kid-like ways. So Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus said unto him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. You see? Peter said unto them, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? He said, I, like a little kid, I want to go now, Lord. I don't want to go later on or afterwards. I want, can I go now? Where are you going? And why can't I go with you? He said, I'll lay down my life for thy sake. Which lets me know how much he loved the Lord. He wasn't like Judas Iscariot, full of Satan. He was a man. Okay, Judas Iscariot was not a believer and he was full of Satan. Peter is a believer and Peter loves the Lord. He is not full of Satan. He said, I'll die for you if I've got to. He said, I'm willing to lay down my life for your sake. That's how much he said, I love you, Lord. He said, I'll die for you if I need to. Right? Say, praise the Lord. So a strength that Peter has is his courage and his love for the Lord. I mean, you think about it. He's, he's real here. He's not just making this up. It's not some kind of emotional statement, you know. It's coming out of his flesh. That's the problem. Okay. He's courageous, but he's fleshly. The reason why Peter's going to stumble and deny the Lord is because he's relying on his own strength. Okay. His what is in him is not going to be equal to the task. You see, when he looks at himself, he says, Lord, I'll die for you. But he's not up to that task. How many of you ever said, Lord, I'll do this for you and I'll do that for you. And Lord, I, no matter what I go through, Lord, I'll be with you, Lord. I'm there. And you're, you're like Peter, you're saying, and you, you know, and you really believe what you're saying. And you might even say, I'll die for the Lord. But what's in you doesn't equal the task. It doesn't equal what's, you understand, going to be required. You may say it, but you're not going to go, you're not going to do it because you're not up to it on the inside. And that's Peter. And the Lord knows Peter better than Peter knows himself. He knows that he's not up to the task. He's not up to dying for him. The Lord knows Peter better than Peter knows him, himself. Just like he knows you better than you know you. He knows me better than I know me. Okay? He knows what's in me. He knows, and I may say something, I may have great plans, right? But I'm not equal to 
what I'm saying. Say amen. You ever been there before? That's where Peter is right here. So he says, Lord, why can I not follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. He's sincere. Verse 38, Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? You get it? He's, Jesus saying, okay. I mean, I don't have to put it in a different words, but he's saying, oh, is that so? Is that so? Okay. I'm going to, you're saying you're going to lay down your life for, for my sake. Oh, is that so? How many of you ever said something, you know, bold statements? And the Lord says, oh, is that so? Really? See, what's in you is not up to what you're saying. So Jesus is questioning Peter. Is, is, that, is that right, Peter? Really? Is that so? Am I boring you tonight? I'm sorry. I, you know, I like to bore you. Every time I come up here, I just bore you with tears. I know. I'm going to do my best to bore you the best I can. But I'm telling you, sometimes the Lord comes and says, oh, yeah, I know what's in you. You're talking big. You have a big talk. You have you know, big plans and, and all this. But, I, but he knows what you're really all about. You'll make a statement, oh, yeah, Lord, I'll die for you. He'll, you'll hear in your spirit, oh, is that so? See, Peter is coming out of self-confidence when he says this. He's full of pride. He's, he's looking at himself as being heavier than he really is. And we talked about that in the book of Proverbs Sunday morning. Don't think you're heavier than you are. That's pride. When you start thinking you're heavier than you really are, see, you're not so heavy. You're a little, you're lighter than that. Peter thinks he's heavier than he is. He thinks that he can lay, he'll, he's going to lay down his life for the Lord. Now, I don't doubt Peter's love for the Lord, but he's not heavy enough for that. Okay? You start thinking you're heavier than you are, you're setting yourself up for a fall. Your pride is going to cause you to stumble. And his pride, his haughty spirit, even though he loved the Lord, is going to cause him He's going to fail the Lord. He's going to deny the Lord. He's not going to betray the Lord, but he did it because he thought he was up to something that he wasn't up to. Okay, that makes sense? He's full of pride. He's full of self-confidence. And the Lord is questioning what he's saying. Amen. Verse 38, Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, truly, truly, says, truly, truly, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me three times. Denied me three times. Now, I think when they came to get Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter takes that knife. He, listen, he loves the Lord and he's ready to fight for the Lord. He's a man of courage, but his pride and his self-confidence, okay, is going to destroy him. 
But he does take out the knife. He does cut the ear off of Malchus, which means I think Peter's ready to take on all of it. So he, the problem with Peter is he's a fisherman trying to use a sword. That's that's what got him in trouble, you know. He, he, he missed. You know, he's, I believe he's going for the throat. I believe he's trying to take the guy's head off. But, you know, a fisherman, he don't know how to use a sword. He cuts his ear off. And then the Lord picks it up and puts it back on the side of his head, right? Thank God God can, can fix. When we mess up, God can fix and put ears back on people. I mean, I'm sure, honestly, I know you look at me tonight. Some of you look at me. But I think some of you have cut some ears off yourself. Oh, yeah, I know I have. I've cut some ears off. You know, and the Lord had to reach down and put them back on their head. You know, so before you judge, you know, I, I just feel that sometimes that critical spirit, you know, that at least examining the pastor. Is he living up to that? Is pastor living up to what he's preaching tonight? You know, I feel that in some of you. I discern that. But remember, before you judge me, you better judge yourself. Because some of you are not in the position I'm in. You don't have the responsibility I have. You don't have the load I carry. Okay? And so before you say, well, it's pastor living up to it, I'm doing the best I can. But remember, I know I've cut some ears off. Amen? But the Lord put them back on. So you maybe you've cut some ears off too. And you better pray, God, I need some help. I cut their ear off, Lord. And you're just going for their neck. I mean, you weren't just going for the ear. You wanted to cut their heads off. But because you were a fisherman and not a swordsman, you're not very accurate. <laughs> and that was Peter, right? Who was a man of courage, but watch this. He failed in the area of his strength. The strength of Peter was his courage. His love for God, man. And he was ready to fight for God. But as you get beyond the garden uh, there, he starts denying the Lord. So he actually fails in the area of his strength. Because he stops depending on the Lord. He starts depending on his own strength. And because of that, he, fa he fails. He denies the Lord. He had no desire to deny the Lord, no plan to, desire, to deny the Lord. He was fighting for the Lord for a while. He was a man of courage. But in the very area of his strength, that's where he fell because a little girl says, you're one of them. He says, I don't even know the man. So he's afraid of a little girl. Where on the one hand, he's, he's about to fight the whole army. What I'm trying to show you is this, is that with the Lord, any of us in this church, you have strong points. Every one of you in this church, you have strong points. But if you start relying on your own ability and your own strength, you know where you're going to fail? You're going to fail in the area of your strong points. And that's what happened to Peter. He failed in the area of his strength. And the, his strength was, you know, that big old rugged fisherman and that courageous fisherman and ready to fight for the Lord, but denies him for a little girl. That means he lost his courage. Because he's trying to depend on himself. And so many of you tonight, you know, you've gone and you've done well for a while. And all of a sudden, boom, you're sitting in here and you're all defeated. 
And you're going, well, you know, wow, I was on fire and I loved God and I, I was going to preach and I was going to do all of this. And, and, yeah. and, and it was real. It was true, okay? But you fell in the area of your strength. What am I saying? I'm telling you that if you have a strong point, you'll begin to lean on that strong point and because, all right, you get careless. You know, I'm strong in this area, you know. And so you start trying to depend on that and you get careless with, you know, guarding that. And so the enemy hits you right there. Why? Because you're not expecting it. Okay? And so in Peter's life, you see a perfect example of a man who failed in his strong point because he stopped depending on the Lord. He stopped relying on the strength of the Lord. He got careless and boom, a little girl says, you're one of them. He says, I don't even know the man. Does that make sense to you? Peter's a very, you know, you talk about Judas Iscariot being a very unique individual. Peter's very unique as a man. He loved God with all his heart, but he failed in the area of his strength. That was his courage. Depending on himself. Saying, I. Notice he says, I, I, I. Verse 38, Jesus answered, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock will not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. But I thought, I will lay down my life for thy sake. I, I, I. And before it's all over, the Lord said, I know you better than you know yourself. You have good intentions. You have strengths. But he said, I know you better than you know yourself. Is that so, Peter? You're going to lay down your life for me? Before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Okay, watch, listen. And then chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Your is a plural word which means he's speaking to all the disciples. But because he's addressing Peter specifically at that moment, he's telling Peter, okay, you're going to deny me, Peter, but let not your heart be troubled, Peter. Because I'm still going to prepare a place for you, Peter. Did, did you catch that? Now remember the Bible says that Jesus was troubled in spirit. When he talked about his betrayer sitting with him, he was troubled in spirit. The same word is used right here when he says to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. But he is specifically speaking to Peter there. Okay? This conversation that's going on between Jesus and Peter about his denying him takes Jesus right into the statement. Let not your heart be troubled. And you can say, Peter, ultimately, especially, don't let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. You believe in God, believe also in me. Are you with me so far? The key or the cure for heart trouble is if you believe in God, believe also in me, said Jesus. Does that mean they're separate? If you believe in God, believe also in me. Well, if you believe in Jesus, that is to believe in God. Does that make sense? 
We're not talking about two separate persons here, but he says, if you believe in God, believe also in me. In what way? His word, his work, his power. The cure for heart trouble. If you've got heart trouble today, if you're full of trouble on the inside, the key is to believe in God. Believe, if you believe in God, believe also in me. Okay? How many of y'all believe in the Lord today? That'll remove heart troubles. It's a cure for heart trouble. It's to believe in God. If you believe in God, believe also in, in me, said Jesus. That means well, you can't separate them. To believe in God is to believe in Him. But He's talking about His work. Okay? Uh, his Word. His power. If you believe God, if you believe Jesus, His Word for you, His work for you, His power for you, it will take care of heart trouble. Why is He troubled? Because he's announcing he's going away. Correct? This is a command. Let not your heart be troubled. You get it? The way he's saying it is not, well, you know, if you don't want your heart to be troubled, then don't be troubled. So he is telling them, do not be troubled in your hearts. Yes, I'm going away. Yes, you can't follow me. Yes, you can't go where I'm going physically. But don't be troubled. Because when I go away, I've got something I'm going to do for you. And so believe in God and believe in me, my word, my work, and my power in your life. And even though he's not going to be there physically among them, he's telling them, don't let your heart be troubled. And you need to catch that right now. You need to get a vision of that right now because I know... Um, okay. Let me just put it to you this way. You can lose sleep worrying about are we in the tribulation period. You can lose sleep. We going to have any food to eat. You can lose sleep. Well, the Antichrist is going to come and get me cut my head off. You can lose sleep all of that over all of that. But the Bible says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in Jesus. His Word is working His power in your life. It will remove, it will be the cure for heart trouble. And one of the signs of the last days, Jesus said, one of the signs of the last days is that people's hearts will fail them for fear. They look at what's coming on the world and they get full of fear and they start having heart attacks. So we need to get this word. Even though Jesus is not physically here with us, He is commanding everyone in this church, let not your heart be troubled. Amen. Believe in God. Believe also in Him. His word is working His power. Okay? Say amen. amen. How many of y'all want to have a cure for heart trouble? I don't want to die. Listen, I don't want to die of a heart attack. You know, and, and this helps me as well. I, just sometimes it's overwhelming. It just gets overwhelming. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to ask you as a church, and I don't normally do this, but I'm going to ask you as a church, would you pray for me? Okay? Because at times I am overwhelmed. I need this word tonight for myself. I'm not just preaching it to you. I need it for myself. 
Okay? The cure for heart trouble is to believe God and to believe in Jesus. Now, same, but there's different aspects of God and, and uh, the sonship. The sonship is reconciliation. The sonship is redemption, right? Amen. Praise God. I believe in God's power. But I believe in His sonship. He redeemed me by His blood. I'm reconciled to God. You understand that? I'm in a right relationship with the Lord because of the sonship of Jesus Christ. So that's what you're not separating persons. He's separating roles of function and purpose. So you can believe in God's power. Believe in the love of God for you. He hung on that cross for you. Look at Him hanging on that cross for you. Believe God and believe in me, said Jesus. Believe what I'm telling you, the word, the work, what I've been prophesying to you. Believe that. Amen. And ultimately says this, not only believing in God and believing in the Lord is going to be a cure for heart trouble, but he says this, next statement. In my Father's house are many mansions. Say mansions. How many of y'all believe there's mansions in Father's house? Do you believe that? Yes. In my Father's house are many mansions. Well, first of all, you talk about a challenge. This is a challenge. Okay? Because if you look at verse 23, look at verse 23 of the 14th chapter. Jesus answered and said unto him, If any man love me, he will keep my words. My Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our mansion with Him. In your King James Version, you will notice that right there, it wasn't translated in English as mansion, right? But it's the exact same word in the Greek. So there He tells us that He and the Father are going to come in mansion with you. He's, they're going to abide or you will become their abode or their dwelling place. Okay? You are going to become Latin, translation from the Latin, their mansion. You're going to become the Father, the Father and the Son's mansion. You are. He's going to abode in you or dwell in you or mansion with you. Now you hang on here with me. Okay, this is very important. So, this word here, one place is translated mansion, another place is translated, we're going to make our abode with you. You with me? So, promise. In my Father's house are many mansions. Or what? Abodes. Or dwelling places. Okay? Is he just talking about a building? He said, okay. Uh, Jesus, after he died, he went up to heaven and he's building me a mansion. He got his hammer and nails out and he's building me a mansion. 
like a building, right? Like a, like a palace. Correct? Is that, is that what you think that means? You think that he's up there? I, he's going to prepare a place to be up there? Yeah, you know. Is that what you think? I'm asking you. I mean, with hammer and nail. You believe he's been up there for 2,000 years building your mansion? You know, he's the carpenter, right? So he's up there building my mansion. He's been up there. What's he's been doing? He's been building my home. Is that, is that the concept you have here? Okay. Well, we're going to talk about that, all right? <laughs> because in verse 23, he literally tells you that you are his mansion. Amen. See, he's not talking about your house. He's talking about his house. He said, in my father's house are many dwelling places or abodes. You think he's talking about your house. He's talking about father's house. And he tells you in verse 23, whose father's house, who is father's house? His disciples. You are the mansion. You are father's house. So it's not talking about your house in that statement right there. He's talking about his house. Heresy. I've been trained all my life. Some of you said, the, the Lord has been up there for 2,000 years building my house. You think that's what He's been doing? Up there building your house? He's been building His house. And I'm looking at His house. In my Father's house are many mansions, dwelling places, abodes. And He tells the disciples that they are His mansions. But you knew that. Hebrews chapter 3. Let's go over this. Can we look at this? See, I'm starting to get bold now. I'm feeling pretty good. Pray to God I can get this across to you. Hebrews 3. <coughs> Hebrews 3, verse 4 and 5. You ready? For every house is builded by some, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. So Hebrews is telling you very clearly that you are the house of God. You are His mansion. You are His abode. Are y'all with me so far? Let not your heart trouble be. You believe in God, believe also in my Father's house. 
Look at your neighbor and say, your father's house. Are many dwelling places, mansions, abodes. Whoa. And then he says that he's going to make their abode with you. You're going to become his dwelling place. Make sense? What he's telling Peter is this, okay? He said, I, it's Father's house. He's building Father's house, Hebrews 3, 3 through 5. You are Father's house. He's building his house. He's going to come and dwell in you, right? And he is going to prepare a place for you in Father's house in the sense that you will have operation. There will be a place of ministry for you to fulfill in Father's house. I'm telling you that in, in the ultimate sense here, okay, y'all with me so far? He's going to prepare a place for you. He's going to come back and get you, literally, in an ultimate sense, when He comes back in the end, and take you to the heavenly Jerusalem, right? But He didn't build it with hammers and nails. He prepared that place by His blood. What prepared the place for you is His blood, His finished work. I can prove to you that the new Jerusalem was in existence before Jesus ever came. Okay? So He, the way He's preparing a place, and we'll get to that, i got to go to the next statement just a minute. The way He's preparing the place for you is by His blood. Okay? Now, first of all, you are his house, you are his dwelling place, but he says, in my father's house are many abodes, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, right? First thing you got to see is that there's a spiritual house that he's talking about. How do I know that? Verse 23 tells me that. That you are his abode. You are his mansion. So I'm not stretching this. This is reality. And as you are his mansion, his abode, he has a place for you in his house. Okay? To fulfill an operation, to fulfill a ministry. Every one of you have a place in Father's house. And he's looking at Peter, and Peter, you're going to deny me, but I've still got a place for you. I've got a dwelling for you in my house, which is the church of the living God. And the other disciples as well. They're going to run. They're going to scatter. It won't be, it will, Peter's going to deny him, but they're going to leave him too. Right? But he's letting them know, don't let your heart be troubled. Okay? You get through this, he said, this is what I'm going to do for you. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions, abodes, dwelling places. Places you're going to stay, right? Praise God. But it, it, are you a building? A physical building? No. He's talking about spiritual occupation and operation in His kingdom. Say praise the Lord. That's one level. But the ultimate level is He's preparing a place for you in the heavenlies by His blood. And He's going to come back someday 
and take you home. Where he is right now physically, you will be with him forever. Okay? In that heavenly city, that heavenly Jerusalem, that he is prepared by his blood, not with hammer and nails. I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to get you to understand truth. I want you to walk in revelation. I want you to see what he's saying to you. He's encouraging them. Okay? Even though he's not going to be there physically with them, he's going to go away. They can't follow. They can't. He said, I'm letting them know. I'm going to prepare a place for you. But you are his place. But in the ultimate sense, I'm coming back and I'm going to get you. But how? How is he coming back? Because the whole chapter is going to be talking about how he's going to come back in another form. Spirit. So it's not, this chapter is not just talking about physical things and, and his physical coming. It's talking about his spiritual coming in you. Whoa, help me today. What he's going to show them. He's going to give them a revelation of how they will become his house. He's going to dwell inside of them. Are y'all with me? He's going to reveal himself to the world through his house, the church. Okay? Praise God. So, Peter, I got a place for you, a dwelling place in my house. Okay? And there's many abodes, there's many, you know, many places in that house. Okay? And, by the way, I will come back and get you. And you're going to be with me physically. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. Praise God. Y'all here with me? So be encouraged. It's only temporary. He said, no, I will be away from you physically for a short period of time. But in the meantime, I'm coming again in another form. Spirit! He's, he's trying to prepare them for the age of the Holy Ghost. He's trying to prepare them for the age of the Spirit where He will come and make His mansion in a church. And He will reveal Himself in and through that church by His Spirit. Now, I want you to see this is beautiful. So there's, there's more than one layer going on here. Alright? It's in the text itself. So, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Literally, dwelling places. This is not, he's not, when you think about a mansion, the old English mansion coming from the Latin Vulgate or the Latin language does not mean a palace. It means a dwelling place. It means an abiding place. Are you here? It's a place to stay. God's up there building this big old palace. That's not what he's talking about here. Encouraging, isn't it? To know that in my Father's house many mansions, Hebrews 3, 3 through 5, lets us know that you are the house of God. Amen. And there's many abodes in that house. There's many dimensions in that house. And different operations and opportunities and ministries in that house. And as long as you abide with the Father, you will dwell in that 
house. Does that make sense? Spiritual. Spiritual. And when he gets through this chapter, there's going to be so many facets of his being that he reveals to you it's going to blow your mind. And because they don't understand what he means, when he talks about going away and they can't come, they can't follow him, they can't go at this time, but afterward they will, they don't understand what he's saying to them. And so he has to bring a many faceted diamond to them and talk to them about what he's going to do for them when he goes away physically. And he's going to reveal himself as Father and as Son and as Holy Ghost. And what he's going to do in and through them, he's going, it's going to be like a diamond held up in the light. And you have to turn that diamond in that light to see the beauty of that diamond. And so in order for them to understand what he's going to do, he's going to come at it in many different angles. And you might interpret it as Trinitarian personages, but that's not what he's doing here. He's showing you a multifaceted diamond so they can understand and see the beauty of what He's going to do for them, in them, and through them when He leaves physically. You got that. So be encouraged, Peter. You're going to deny me. But I got a place for you. The rest of you, you're going to go to peace. You're going to fall apart. But I've got a place for you. A dwelling place. It's an abode. And there's many abodes in that house. Okay? Beautiful, isn't it? Now watch. Verse 2. In my father's house are many mansions, dwelling places, abodes. If it were not so... I would have told you. There's more to life than what you are seeing, disciples. When I leave this planet physically, you need to understand that there are many abodes, dwelling places. This is not all there is to life. There's more to it. Much more beyond this. And if you just keep your eyes on this world and this life, you will have a heart that will be constantly troubled. But he's trying to get them to understand that when he dies physically and he's no longer in this world physically, that this is not the only place in Father's house. Father's house is as big as the universe. Thank you, Jesus. He's going to try to come to you with a revelation tonight so that you will stop getting down. So you'll understand that when you're going through trouble sometimes, there are many abodes, many dwelling places that He has prepared for you. Purpose, operation, occupation, function in His kingdom. It's more than what you see in life. You spend all day long trying to figure out why somebody wasn't proven guilty and enter in depression over that and be discouraged by that. I'm telling you, there's much more than this. It is not the end of the story. And when they take him and they crucify the innocent, perfect Son of God, 
He's telling them, I know there's more to this than just this natural world. And you need to understand, as you're going through life, he said, I've got a place for you when you're going through trouble sometimes for you to step into and rest. It's operation. It's occupation. You're troubled. You're laboring. But coming to this place, this mansion, this abode in the house of God, in the spirit, and rest from your labors and understand that I've got a place for you in hard times. So you can rest. He said, I've got it prepared for you. It's waiting for you. As you're moving from one thing to another and you're fixing to go through a time of trouble and your heart's going to be troubled or be tempted. He said, let your, not your heart be troubled when you're going through it. He said, I have prepared place. Dwelling. Well, you can step into that and find rest. Because the word here, dwelling abode, Mansion Latin Vulgate translated over into the English. They carried it over. He's letting them know it was a place of rest. Okay, amen. Are you thankful for that? I thank God today that no matter what I'm going through in my life, that God has the opportunity for me to move in those different places, those different dwellings, those abodes in His house so I can be resting so it doesn't get the best of me. It does not destroy me. I just keep going on with Him. And as I keep going on with Him, He's got a place I can walk into in the Spirit that gives me rest. So there's much more to it than what you see. If you're just going by the natural eyes, your heart's going to be full of trouble. But keep on serving the Lord. And as you walk through life, in the storms of life, He will give you an abode, many abodes, for you to step into. This is not it, Peter. It's not over. You're going to deny me. But you are going to have a place in my house to step into. You're going to make it. Isn't that beautiful? And the rest of the side, you're going to make it. Said, I don't know how I'm going to make it. God said, because as you keep walking with Him, there's a place in His house that you can step into and abide and rest. I thank God for that. Sister in the church came to me Wednesday night, I believe it was, last week. I think it was. And she told me, she said, Pastor, she says, in my house and the Lord the Lord sat down beside me, reached out His arm and put His arm around me and just held me. You know what that was? That was the Lord giving you assurance in a troubled time. He was saying, I've got a place for you right now and it's in me. And it's a place where I've given a repair for you to enter into so that you won't be destroyed. Isn't that a beautiful thing? If God didn't have those dwelling places, those abodes in His house that I can move through and to, I would not make it. I hope you understand what He's trying to tell you. He said, I won't be with you physically anymore. He said, but don't worry about it. He said, I'm building a house. And it's Father's house. Are y'all here? And in that house of Father, which you are dwelling in, 
there are many of them. And you're going to have multiple opportunities and operations and participations and places of rest that you're going to move to in the Spirit. Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, mansions, abodes. If it were not so, he said, I would have told you. He said, I know there's something beyond this, and I'm telling you that there is. He said, if it wasn't so, he said, I would, he said, I'd have told you about that. Are y'all with me right now? Now, watch this. If I go and prepare a place for you, are y'all here? That's going to be by his blood. He said, I will come again. Now, the context here is the Bible you will see says he's coming in spirit form. So when he says, I'm coming, it's spirit form in the text, but it's also his literal coming physically. He said, I'm going to come back. I'm going to take you to a prepared place. Now, you've got, to, you've got to understand there's a lot of movement going on here. Are you seeing the movements of God here? God is moving. Praise God. God is moving. He's moving you from one place to another place in the spirit. One mansion. One, it's not a palace. It's not a building. It's a spiritual thing. God is moving. He's moving in you. He's moving you to reveal himself in and through a mansion. And I'm looking at it. Now, don't be discouraged. It says ultimately he's going to come back. And he's going to take you to a place where he is right now physically. That's the ultimate sense of it. But the text, the context is spirit. Now watch. Are y'all with me right now? Oh, hallelujah. I thank God for this truth. I praise God for this truth. So when you're going through hard times and the devil's attacking you and tempting you, all right? And you're in great warfare. Do not stop coming to church. Because as long as you stay in union with the Father, He said, I got a place waiting for you. <laughs> the operation is beyond the natural and the physical. Say, praise the Lord. Say, praise the Lord. I'm giving you the cure to heart trouble. <clears throat> we need this. God knows we need this. What is he going to do when he's away physically from us? What is he going to do? What's going to happen to these disciples after he's gone? He's letting them know. Get ready for the age of the Spirit. Oh, I love him. I praise him. I worship him. Well, I don't like pastor. Shut up. I don't like this. Shut up. You are messed up. You have to understand what Jesus is saying. But I'm going to quit the church because I Lord, help you. Help your soul. Help your wretched soul. Because I'm looking at Father's house. You can't go out in the mountains and find God. You can't find God in the natural world. You find God in His house. I enjoy his creation, but I don't find God in the mountains. I find God in the church. I find God in his house. And God is on the move. All right. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I 
there you shall, there you may be also. Okay, praise the Lord. In the Spirit then, when He comes inside of you in the Spirit, you are dwelling with Him in the Spirit. You are in heavenly places in Christ Jesus in the Spirit. But in an ultimate sense, He's coming back and getting us. I believe in the second coming of Jesus. I said, I believe in the second coming of Jesus. I said, I believe in the rapture of the church. Okay? I've never stopped believing that, but you have got to see the spiritual truth of what He's saying rather than just the rapture and Him coming back for the church in the future. I believe in that. But have you seen the spiritual aspect, the significance of what He's trying to tell these beloved disciples, these little children that are going to be troubled when He leaves them physically? And then so he's telling them, I'm coming back now. Verse 4. And whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? He said, you know, you know. <clears throat> he's telling them, are y'all with me? <laughs> I, he said, whither I, where I'm going, you know, and the way, you know. Here comes Thomas. I love Thomas. He's just practical Thomas, you know. <laughs> I love him, I love him, I love him. Amen. He says, okay, say it. Thomas saith unto him. Thomas means twin. Uh, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? I love it. You're telling us that we know where you're going, and that we know the way. We, we don't know where you're going, and we don't know the way. But Thomas, right, right? You know, it's like, maybe you said something I didn't hear. I mean, uh, that, that I know the way and, and, and I know where you're going and I know the way to get there. I, I must have missed something. Did you say? You know, did you tell, tell us what? Are y'all hearing what I'm trying to get you to see this? Uh, they don't understand. They don't understand what's going on. All right? Amen. Now, beautiful. Okay, verse 6, Jesus said, I, uh, here we go. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You, you, you think I'm talking about a physical highway, Highway 66. I said, no, you're missing the point. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the only way to be saved. I'm the only way of salvation. You understand? I am the way. That's why they were called the people of the wake. Because he was the way, the truth, and the life. So he says, I am the way. Okay? He is the only way of salvation. And he's the way to get you to the Father. His finished work will get you to the Father. It'll get you to that dwelling place in the Spirit. It'll get you to that ultimate Jerusalem. That's the only way to get there in the spirit or in the literal fulfillment of it is to know that Jesus is the way to the Father. He's the way to that place called the abode. I am the way, only way of salvation. I am, he says, I am, I am, I am. That means he's letting them know. Now don't forget, I am the eternal God. I am the way, I am the truth. 
The truth means, he's saying to them, I am the revelation of God to you. I am the way and the truth. Say praise God. He is exegeting the invisible God to us. He's revealing the invisible spirit to us. He's given sight to the invisible God. Oh, hallelujah. Everything that Jesus did, everything that he said, all his works, all his words, every time he touched somebody and healed them, that was a revelation of God to the world. So when he says, I am the truth, he's the revelation of God, John 1.18. I want you to see it. Go back to John 1, the prologue of the whole thing. The book of John is uh, given us example of John 1 through the rest of the chapter. So John 1.18, please read, brother. No man hath seen God at any time. He's an invisible spirit. You can't see him. Read. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. He hath exegeted Him. He hath showed Him forth. He's made the invisible God visible to man. How? Because He became a man and walked the earth. And so when He said, I'm the way, He's the only way to the Father. He's the only way to that Jerusalem there, the heavenly Jerusalem. He's the only way to the spiritual abodes. He is the truth in the sense that He is the revelation of God to man. He gave sight to God. Everything He said, everything He did, He's a witness. He's a faithful witness to the Father. Y'all with me right now? Woo. He's fixing to talk about the Holy Ghost. No, the Holy Ghost. Listen to me. Many will say the Holy Ghost is given to reveal Christ. I will say it this way. The Holy Ghost's purpose now in the church age is to interpret Him for us. The Son, God came in sonship to reveal the Father to the world. He's the truth. The revelation of God. The Holy Ghost now in the church is interpreting the Christ of God. Interpreting who He was as a person. And interpreting His work in the church. That's the purpose of the Holy Ghost in the church. Give God praise in the house. Now, so He is... Okay, okay. Facets, facets, diamond, facets. Look here, alright? I'm the way. I'm the truth. Look at the beauty of that diamond. He's revealing to them aspects of that diamond and the beauty of what he's doing for them. Are y'all with me right now? I'm, and then he goes, okay, third thing. I'm the way, truth, and the... I am the life. You get this resurrection life in you and nobody can put it out. You get the life of God in you. When you get the life that raised Jesus from the dead on the inside of you, nothing can put it out. No devil can put it out. No problem can put it out. Because He is the life. Somebody say, well, get a life. No, I, Jesus is life. Jesus is my life. Nobody ever starts really living without Jesus because Jesus is the life. If you don't have Jesus inside of you, you are not living. He is the life. He is the life. Oh, praise God. 
He's the only way to experience eternal life. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way out of court. I'm the truth, holy place. I am the life, most holy place. You see? Woo, glory to God. I, I, I'm just having a fit up here, man. I'm having a good time. Give the Lord praise in the house. You need to lay aside of your problems. Some of you have too many problems. You're bringing all of your problems to church. You can't hear it. Can you hear the word tonight? All right, yeah. Well, you said, well, I'm trying to, trying to listen, Pastor, so I'm sitting here with my eyes closed. Oh, good. Okay. All right, y'all with me so far? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Boy, you just, he told Thomas how to get there. Right? He said, the only way to get there is you're looking at me. You want to know the Father? You want to know the Father? You're going to have to look at Jesus. You're going to have to see Jesus. If you want to know the Father. If you want to know the way, you're going to have to look at Jesus. If you want life, it's in Jesus Christ. Not separate from Him. Praise God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Now watch. I pray we can finish this tonight. The Bible says, if you had known me, oh. verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is the Father, but in His Sonship He provided a way to the Father through His redemption. Amen. Do you understand that? Now, now here we go. Verse 7. If you had known me, you should have known my Father. Faceted diamond in the light. You get it? He has to do this because they don't understand. So he's got to come at it in multiple angles so they'll understand. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. Right? And henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Just like John 1.18 says. Right? You with me now? Okay. So now, Jesus is saying, when you look at me, you see the Father. How? The Father is the eternal spirit. How do you see the invisible spirit of God? John 1.18 told you. The Son reveals him. The Son exegetes him, shows him forth. Right? So he's saying, when you look at me, you're not just looking at the Son. You're looking at the Father. Uh-oh. Revelation. Pass it to the diamond, right? Okay, here we go. Watch. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also, and henceforth ye know Him and have seen Him. He already told them, my little children. You with me? He's already said, I, He's the Father. Okay. Philip saith unto him. And I think once Philip got through asking the question and Jesus got through responding to his question, that he probably wished he had never asked it. He probably wished a thousand times that he had never asked the question or made the statement that he's going to make here. Okay? Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it will satisfy us. 
It will be sufficient if you'll show us the Father. Show us God. We want to see God. Show You claim to be the Father, and you claim that when we look at you, we see the Father. Then show us God. We want to see God. We want to see the Father, right? And Jesus said, when you have seen me. Okay, but, okay, here we go. I got I to gotta get the whole, gotta read the whole thing. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? He corrects, I mean, you know, that's bad, that's bad. He says, Show us the Father. He said, We are looking at him. I've been so long with you, and you don't know that I'm the When you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Not just a man, not just the Son, but the Father has been made visible to man. The invisible God. Jesus has given sight to the invisible God so that when you saw Him, you saw Yahweh. You saw the Lord. You saw the Creator of the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see God in flesh there. You understand that? I know you know it, but I'm still going to preach it to you. Praise God for the truth. Aren't you thankful for the truth? That, she, that you know that Jesus is the Father. He's not just the Son, but you know He's the Father. Aren't you glad that you have that revelation? Okay, y'all with me? Are you here? I'm I'm tempted to go to 1 John and some other epistles of John and and really establish this, but I'm not. I don't have time. Okay? Read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. John really establishes the deity of Jesus Christ. That if you have the Father, okay, you with me? To be true doctrinally or right doctrinally, you have to have both Father and the Son. That's what it says. To be correct doctrinally. You know what that means? That means you have to have Jesus as God come in the flesh to be doctrinally correct. If he is not God come in the flesh to you, you are not doctrinally correct. Say praise the Lord. Now, I don't have time for it. But Jesus, his name means Yahweh salvation. When you say Jesus the Christ, you are saying Yahweh salvation the anointed Son of God. Jesus means Yahweh, Savior, Messiah, anointed. That means He's the anointed Son of God. God come in the flesh. Okay, y'all with me so far? Verse 10. Believe us. In John 10, 30, I and my Father are one. And he said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay? Believest thou not that I am in the Father? How is that? As a man, he's in the Father. 
He does not give up his omnipresence ever. So as a man, he's in the Father. The Father's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Okay? As a man, he's in the Father. And the Bible said, Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Where's the Father? In him. And he, as a man, is in the Father. Correct? Didn't give up his omnipresence. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. You need to underline these. In me. In me. You need to underline them. All right? The Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me, that I in the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the very works sake. Go and look at all that's been done. All the miracles, the signs that we've gone through in the book of John. They prove that He is the God-man. That the Father is in Him. Say Amen. And he's not doing his own thing. He's not just led by his human nature. Everything he does, everything he says, is the Father revealing it to the Son. And he is doing what the Father tells him to do. Come on, somebody. And the works that he's performing is the Father working in and through him. He's not separate from the Father. The Father is working in and through Him. Everything He says is the Father working in and through Him. He's not doing it on His own volition. He's led by the Spirit. Every one of us here tonight need to stop be, being led by our flesh. We need to get the mind of the Father. We need to say what the Father's saying. We need to do what the Father's doing. We need to know what the will of God is. Is it just going off on our own, doing whatever we think is right? Come on, somebody. Jesus, as a man, didn't do anything that wasn't in the will of God. Say amen. Praise the Lord. So the Father was in Him. God in sonship. Two natures, not two persons. Deity and humanity wrapped up in one. God in flesh. Say amen. Incarnation means God in humanity. That's what incarnation means. All right, here we go. You ready? Woo, glory to God. This is awesome. Now, verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me. Here we go. This is what I'm going to do for you and with you. If you believe, say, if you believe, you believe on me. That means the Father in the Son. Father in Sonship. You believe on me correctly, right? The works that I do shall He do also. And greater works than these shall He do because I go unto my Father. But He said the Father's in Him. Now He says He's going to the Father. Because the Father's on the His humanity can go back to the Father. Right? So here's what I'm going to do for you. He said, 
greater works than I do shall you do also. You understand that? He's letting them know, this is what I'm going to do. I, you know what God wants to do through you? He wants to reveal himself in you and through you to a world. You understand that? And if you believe that he is God come in the flesh, the Father is in him, say amen, you're going to do greater works than he did. What's greater than raising a man from the dead? What is greater than that? Greater works? Are y'all here? Physically on the earth, he's limited. He's limited. Okay? To touch this one and to touch that one and to speak to this one and to speak to that one. But when he comes in the spirit and makes his abode in you, you become his mansion. And he gives you places of ministry and places of rest in the spirit. He is going to begin to work through the church so that there will be more works through the church as he is in us by his spirit than he could ever do physically walking the earth. Do you get this? He wants to do greater works than you. He wants you to raise the dead. He wants you to heal the sick. He wants you to preach the gospel with power. You are his abode. You're his dwelling place. Opportunities are... Come on. He's been doing greater works since he went away than he ever did when he was on the earth. Numerically. Through you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This way, that's what I'm going to do for you when I go away. Okay? Let not your heart be troubled. All right. Praise God. He's given a revelation of himself. Now, here we go. Because he goes to the Father. Speaking as a man here. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So, here's what you're going to do. You're going to do mighty works, greater works. When you pray, pray in my name. So there's no confusion when you get down on your knees to pray how to pray. Okay? See, if you believe there are three separate persons, you've got a real dilemma on your hands because you don't know which one to pray to. Ask the Father in His name. Right? What did He say? If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. So you don't have okay, not to worry about okay. So do I pray for the do I pray to the Father? Do I pray to the Son or do I pray to the Holy Ghost? Who do I pray to? Well that's oneness. We don't have a problem with this. Because he know we know he is the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Okay? So the way we pray is in Jesus' name. We cast out devils in Jesus' name. The dead are raised in Jesus' name. We baptize in Jesus' name. The power that it is in His name. He gives you the power to use His name. The authority is in His name. The power is in His name. And when you use His name, 
He is in his name. He's in his name. Get out of your backslidden condition. Repent. 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 Of the sin of unbelief. There's power in the name of Jesus. He is in his name. Salvation's in his name. Healing's in his name. Victory's in his name. The blood is in his name. Forgiveness, remission of sins is in his name. We are the people of the name. Now what? Okay. Did I lose you? I feel Jesus holding to connect with him. Now watch. Hmm. If you shall ask, say anything in my name, I will do it. That doesn't mean anything in the sense you can be stupid. Okay? It has to it has to, when you ask, line up with the character, the moral character of God, His Word. Come on, somebody. He is not going to contradict Himself. So when you ask, you have to ask according to His will. If you don't ask according to His will, you can ask amiss. So when He says anything, it's anything that is in the will of God, that's in the Word of God. Come on, somebody. Give the Lord praise. Someday, I don't know when, but the church is going to come into the revelation of the name of Jesus. Now, we got a little bit of revelation, but we don't have the full revelation of it. That whatever you ask in His name, anything you ask in His name, He says, I will do it. Where's the faith? We all are lacking. We are lacking. Now watch. He said, that's what I'm going to do for you. Okay, but I've got to go back to the Father. Talking about physically. You with me? Here we go. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. It's the proof that you love him if you obey him. You can't say you love him if you do not obey him. If you love me, Keep my commandments. Say praise the Lord. They say, well, what are the commandments? You got the whole New Testament to read. <laughs> say praise the Lord. Read all those commandments. New covenant commandments. There's commandments in the new covenant. And we're to keep those commandments. Say praise God. I already told you the four things. Four things. You're going to have to yield to His love. You got to obey His commands. Yield to His love. Enter into His peace. And experience his joy. That's what he's going to be talking about here. Say amen. So how many of y'all now? Why? Why is that? Why is that? Why is it important, Brother Heath, for us to keep his commandments? Because he's fixing to go back physically. He needs somebody to reveal himself through. He needs a true witness. If you don't keep His commandments, you can't be a faithful witness. If you don't keep His commandments, you can't be a true witness. He's looking for a true and faithful witness to reveal Himself to through. Right here we go. Watch, watch. Jesus, help me. Here we go. If you love me, keep my commandments. Y'all love me tonight. Do you, do you keep his commandments? Do you keep his commandments? You just say, I love you. I love you, God. I love you, Jesus. 
Do you keep his commandments? Okay. If you love him, keep his commandments. Obey him. All right. I will pray the Father. Uh oh, watch this. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. That he may abide with you forever. See, as I said at the beginning, he is preparing them for the age of the Spirit. And he said, I'll pray the Father. Now, I want you to catch this. You understand? He's doing this. He's speaking all these different ways and, and facets because to reveal the beauty of it. Because they don't understand. There's no Trinitarian thought in what he's saying here. I pray the Father. Say amen. Watch this. Listen. And he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Say abide. With you forever. See, I'm not going to be here with you physically, but I'm going to be here with you spiritually. Are you with me so far? Do you understand what he's doing? Okay. He said, I'm going to give you another comforter, a paraclete. I'm going to give you one. Come on, somebody. A comforter. Another, another comforter. Who's the comforter right then? Jesus. He says, I'm going to give you another comforter. Does that mean another person? No. You got it. He's coming in another form or fashion. See, when I get through reading this passage, you're going, to read, you're going to come across the term Holy Ghost. You know why the King James Version translated in your English Bible, they, they gave the Spirit of God the name Holy Ghost? Because they were smart enough to know that the Spirit of God that was in the church was the same Spirit that lived in the departed Jesus. Not a different spirit, but one and the same spirit. So they called it the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of Jesus. The same spirit that was in the departed one. Because he's gone physically doesn't mean he gives you another spirit, another person. It's the Holy Ghost. It's the same spirit that was in the departed Jesus. So they called it the Ghost or the Holy Ghost. So you would know it's the same Spirit, not two spirits, but one Spirit. The Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is the Spirit of the Christ. It's the one Spirit. Ephesians 4 says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Spirit. There's only one Spirit. So I said, I'm going to give you another comforter. Not another person, but another. He's coming in another fashion or form. All right, praise the Lord. You got that. You know that. Okay? That he may abide with you forever. So is the Father going to send a different spirit from Jesus? Watch. Facets. Diamond in the light. Okay. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you comfortless or orphans. I'm not going to leave you fatherless. He says, I will come to you. He 
He's the Father. He said, I'm not going to leave you fatherless or orphans or, or left out there. I'm going away physically, but I'm coming back. No, He's encouraging them. He's preparing them for the age of the Spirit. They're troubled. They don't know what He's talking about. They don't know. He's going to die. He's going to leave. We can't go with Him. All this stuff. They don't understand. He's letting them know, I'm coming back in another form. I'm coming back in another fashion. He's the character. He's the comforter. But it's not a separate person. He's coming Himself. So the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, is the Spirit of the Christ. They're one and the same. You understand? Give the Lord some praise. Now watch. Look at verse 17. Okay, who's this comforter? Even the Spirit of truth. Say the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive. So now we find out that only the believers receive the Spirit of God. The world cannot receive the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth. Only the believer receives the Spirit of truth. Okay? He never cleansed an unbeliever, and he never fills an unbeliever with his Spirit. The Spirit of truth is only given to the unbeliever, right? Okay. Call the Comforter. The, uh, the, he is the Father. He won't leave you orphans. Now watch this. There's orphans. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you. The Spirit of truth, he said, dwells with you. Okay? You know him. And shall be in you. He's already, okay, y'all with me so far? I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. He said, I will. Say, underline it, I will. So you know who the spirit of truth is. So you know who the comforter is. Underline I. And you got it. Say, praise the Lord. Now watch this. When he said spirit of truth, they're Jews. And they know their Bible. And the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of God, they know when reference is made to God, His Spirit, that it's always Yahweh in action. The Spirit of truth is the Lord in action. So, as a Jew, they go all the way to the book of Genesis, where the Spirit of the Lord hovered over those waters of creation. The Spirit of who? The Lord moved what, brother? Tell me, help me. Genesis, boss, I'm talking to you. And the Spirit, who? The Spirit of God did what? Move, read. Upon the face of the waters. So they know when you talk about the Spirit of God, you're talking about God in movement or God in action. Amen. Amen. 
Okay, you, you with me so far? And they would know the Spirit of Truth is Yahweh in action. The one who moved upon the waters of creation. But Jesus is fixing to tell them there is going to be an aspect of the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of Yahweh that you have never experienced before. So that the Spirit of the Lord in the New Testament will be distinct in His action from the Old Testament. There will be a dimension to the Spirit of God that was not with Him in the Old Covenant. Are y'all with me so far? You got to hold on to that. You got to hold on to that. Does that make sense? Okay. So as Jews, they're thinking that now. Spirit, spirit, spirit of truth. Okay. God, Yahweh in action. Okay. They got that. They know that. But they're limited to that understanding of spirit, God in action. That's what they know. They don't know anything else. Are y'all here? Say amen. Now, Jesus, tell them. He said, I'm going to be inside of you. Not just with you, but I'm going to live inside of you. What? Inside of you? Uh, see, uh, he's got to prepare them for the age of the Spirit. The new covenant. Something, something brand new. A new kind of love. A new kind of commandment. The Spirit of the Lord in a way they have never known. You need to know that. For a I'm, going to give it, I'm going to show you why you need to know that. Okay? Verse 18, if you love me, keep my commandments. I will pray the Father. He shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Almost sounds like you're talking about another person, doesn't it? But then he goes on and explains to who that is. He said, I, I, verse 18, will come to you. You get it? Then why does he, why does he make it sound like there's another person he's talking about? It's a diamond, multifaceted diamond of revelation for them. You get it? So they can understand. Now, okay, here we go. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. Why? Crucified, dead, buried, resurrection, and ascension, right? The world, it's coming time, the world will see me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day, you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. You get it? How? Physically? No. Spirit of truth. Comforter. Okay? The Holy Ghost is just another manifestation of the Spirit of God. Okay? You with me so far? Verse 20, at that day you shall know that I am in, in my Father. I in my Father. How? Humanity. I in my Father and ye in me and I in you. How did you get in him? How, he says you're going to be in him, right? Know you not that as many as... Know ye not that as many as have been baptized into Christ has put on Christ. So, you in, he said, ye in me. How? Water baptism. 
and I in you. How? Holy Ghost baptism. See? So you get in Christ and He's in you. That's the new birth. The in, in, the inness, if you will, is the new birth here, right? Oh boy. We get in the, we're going some heavy, we're going to some beautiful places here, okay? Verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. I'm going to reveal myself to him. Okay? Because he loves, okay, because he loves, because you love the Lord, because you keep his commandments, then he reveals himself to you, right? Okay, say manifestation or revelation. What's this? Here we go. Now, here goes Judas, one of his disciples, not Iscariot, correct? Okay, not Iscariot. Verse 22 Judas saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it? that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not into the world. You, you're going to reveal yourself to us, but you're not going to reveal yourself to the world? It's a question in his mind. See, let me explain to you what he's doing here. Right? i got the, the Trinity standing up here. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you look that way. No, you keep looking this way. And you look this way. All right. Praise the Lord. Now, y'all just stand like that the rest of the service. Not really. Okay, I gotta mess with you. You know, I always gotta mess with you. Now, see, in in their mind, they're looking at Jesus, comforters with them right now, in physical, in, in physical bodily form, right? But he just told him he's gonna come in another form, another fashion, right? Okay. Now, so in Jude's mind or Judas's mind, he's thinking that you know the manifestation is right then, that Jesus being in the midst of them or with them right there is the manifestation of what Jesus is saying. He's going to tell them, though, it's future. It's future. Okay, say amen. Say amen. Praise the Lord. Give God a hand clap of praise. Okay, hallelujah. Now watch. At least let's, let's just split the sea right here. The Red Sea, you know, just a little bit. But I want to be able to see the people I'm preaching to, man. Y'all are like giants and towers. I can't even. I'm up here on the platform. I can't. I still can't see them. Are y'all here? He's talking about Jesus' manifestation, right? Verse 20, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. My Father will love him, and we will come, oh, we will come unto him and make our abode with him. We. We. Now, when I look at we, how can I come to oneness? Do you understand what I'm asking you question here today? When you say we, how can I get one out of we? See, if you are of the persuasion that there are three separate persons in the Godhead, 
you think we here is speaking of persons. Separate persons. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not talking about that in His physical body, okay, Spirit of the Father and the Son, Spirit of the Father and the Son, Sonship, humanity, is going to, in substance, come inside of a person. When He says we, say we. We is not talking about two persons. It's not talking about two spirits. Because there's only one spirit. Ephesians 4, 4. There's only one spirit. So we said we. Okay, first and foremost, the only way he can come inside of you is by spirit. Right? So if we're talking about two persons here in the word we, that would be assuming that you're receiving two spirits. Because obviously you're not receiving his physical nature and his spiritual nature inside. Physical body's not coming inside of you. So then, then you would assume, or some would assume, that means two spirits. But that's not talking about two spirits because the Bible says there's only one spirit. So then we here, what's he talking about? We. He's letting them know you know the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Yahweh in action. You are limited in your thinking though when you understand God in old covenant ways as Spirit or God in action. So I, Jesus, what Jesus is going to do, He's going to reveal to them that when they receive the Spirit, they're going to receive the Father and the Son. What is He saying? It's one Spirit. And He's letting them know that the Spirit that is in the Christ is the same Spirit that's coming inside of them. It's not, come on. It, now here's what I want you to see though. But it's not limited to God in the Old Testament. The Spirit of the Lord now has a hue to it. It's called the Incarnation. God in flesh. And the finished work of the cross, His shed blood, brings an added dimension to the Holy Ghost that was not there in the Old Testament. So that when you receive the Spirit of God, you are in fact receiving the Spirit of the Christ. You are experiencing all that the Father is in His attributes and all that the Son is in His attributes. It's the Spirit of God in a new way like they have never known it before. That's what He's trying to show them. It's not, you got to go beyond your limitation of a moving God in the Old Testament. You have to now understand that when you receive that Spirit of God, it is the Spirit of the Christ, the Spirit that was in the man, and the Spirit that was in the man when he died, and his blood was shed. So now when you receive that one Spirit, you're receiving not only the Spirit of Yahweh, but you're receiving the Spirit of the Christ, one and the same. But there's an added dimension to His Spirit that was not there in the Old Testament. And He wants them to know 
they're going to experience that aspect of the Spirit now in the New Covenant days that was not available to them in the Old Testament. You understand what I'm telling you? It's like a glass. Say a glass. Old Testament moving of God is a glass. He comes in the form of a man. The Spirit in Christ Jesus. He dies on the cross and sheds His blood. Now that glass of the Old Covenant, that one Spirit of God in action, now has a tent to it. The tent is the incarnation and His work. Are you here? And His work on the cross. So if there's an added dimension to the Spirit in the New Testament that wasn't available in the Old Testament, he doesn't want them to lose sight of the fact that they're not just receiving the Spirit of Yahweh, but they're receiving His Spirit in a way they could not receive it in the Old Testament because there's an added value to it now because that Spirit has come in human form and He died on the cross for them. And so don't disassociate the Spirit of God from the Christ is what He's telling them. Don't separate them from Him. Don't separate the Spirit from Him. You understand? Glory to God. So we means, not two spirits, we means everything the Son provided is in the Spirit and everything the Father provides is in the same Spirit. You understand that? If you think you got two people living on the inside of you, see, that's where you're in error. The word we means God Okay, and all his attributes and all his roles for you in a greater way than it was ever revealed in the Old Testament. Something new. Say amen. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example. Okay, um, an example is if you take a spacesuit, make a spacesuit. That's one thing. You got a spacesuit. It's a weak example, but just trying to help you. You have a spacesuit. But when the spacesuit is put on the astronaut and the astronaut goes into outer space, the spacesuit takes on greater value. Make sense? If you have clothes, it's one thing. But you put those clothes on Abraham Lincoln. Because Abraham Lincoln wore the clothes, those clothes become of greater value. So he's letting them know, don't be limited in your understanding when you receive the spirit of truth as it just being the spirit of the Lord in the Old Testament and movement. There's an added value to it now. There's a hue, there's a coloration of the incarnation and the bloodshed of Jesus Christ so that we will come and make our abode in Him. Give God praise in the house. He said the Spirit is coming to you in a greater way than has ever been seen in history. Get ready for the age of the Spirit so that you and you receive the Spirit of God. You are receiving the very resident Spirit of Christ. It is the very resident Spirit of the Christ. It has added value to it that was not, that was not connected with in the Old Testament. Does that make sense?
So he's trying to get them beyond their limitations as Jews to God, the movement in the Old Testament. That this God has come in the form of a man. And this God is going to die, this God in the form of a man is going to die on the cross. And that Holy Ghost that's poured out on the day of Pentecost, when he's poured out, is going to give you a revelation of the Christ so that he's not going to speak of himself. Why is he not going to speak of himself? Because the whole purpose of his operation in this age now is to interpret who Jesus is and his finished work. Give God praise in the house. Glory to God. So he's letting Jude know, Jude know, Judas know here, there's something beyond your limitation. It's not just the Spirit of God you're receiving. It's the Spirit of God who's come in the form of man and went across and died for you. Blood's been shed. There's a color to the Spirit that wasn't there before, if you will understand that. There's a hue to the Spirit that wasn't there in the Old Testament. There's an aspect, there's a value that's there in the Spirit now that wasn't there in the Old Testament. Romans 8, turn there. So he's already said, I, singular, will come to you. He said to Paraclete, he said, I'll pray the Father, you're going to send the, uh, the Comforter, you're going to be orphans, right? You know who that is? Jesus Christ. The we here is not two spirits or not two persons. It is the Spirit of God and all His roles and attributes is available to you. Something brand new. Okay? Isn't this beautiful? Hey, Romans 8, I'm almost done. It's been, I've had a good time with you tonight. Hey, Romans 8 and 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And so that the Spirit of who? God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. So if the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. There's just there's different things that, uh, you know, the Spirit of God gives you power. The Spirit of God gives you um, reconciliation. So the Spirit of Christ Okay, it's the same thing as the Spirit of God. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. There's only one Spirit. Beautiful. I love it. I thank God for the truth. So, when a person reads we there, in their mind, somebody will say, well, that... that you can't get oneness out of we, because we is plural. But not in the sense of persons, or even two spirits. It's an aspect of the Spirit of God that Jesus does not want them to miss. That He's coming in. It's not just the Father of the Old Testament, but it's the Father that's in me that's coming inside of you. And the Father that's in me, and incarnation, and the Father that's in me, that went to the cross and shed His blood for you. That's coming in you. It's greater than what the Old Testament. Okay, I think you understand it. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for His goodness. <clears throat> Woo!
We will come unto Him and make our mansion with Him. We will make our dwelling place with Him. We will make our abode with Him. Isn't that beautiful? Hallelujah. Ooh. I love it. I thank God. And I need power. Of the Spirit of God in me for power. I need God to, I need uh, the Spirit to reveal the redemptive work of Jesus Christ in me. I have that as well. Isn't that beautiful? Praise the Lord. I love it. I thank God for it. And now, He's not just around us, but He dwells inside of us. Here's His mansion. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sins. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. He just keeps turning that diamond in life. Not to confuse them, but to show them who He is in all the facets and all the beauty of that diamond and what He's going to do for them, in them, and through them. What he could not do physically, limitations, physical limitations, he will not be limited when the spirit, his spirit comes inside. There will, there, those limitations will be gone. You see this? He's preparing me for that. Now, where are we? Look at okay, verse 24. He that loved me not, keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Isn't that beautiful? And now he, call, he gives it this, this uh, title of Holy Ghost. The same Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Christ, okay? You see? If you believe in three separate persons, then that means you believe that the Father and the Son, we, and now he's talking about the Holy Ghost. If he's a third person, then you got three people living in you. It's not what he's trying to do. He's trying to give you revelation of the resident Spirit of the Christ. His resident Spirit is in him. What? He's bringing when he comes to the disciples and what he's going to do in and through the disciples. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. But remember, he already told them that he's the Father. Or the Father was in him. I love it. You got to keep that in mind. Passes. Holy Ghost, as I told you, is a, is a how many of your Bibles say Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit. Your Bible has a Holy Spirit. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not mocking the Holy Spirit. But the reason why I do that is because you, you don't know my background or the history. We used to have debates with people, you know. And they were, you don't, you're not supposed to call it the Holy Ghost, you're supposed to call it the Holy Spirit. And that's the way it was they, they pronounced it, Holy Spirit. I mean, we say Holy Spirit. No, not Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. So anyway, forgive me. I'm just going back in time in my old. Remember those days, Christine said, Christina said, no, it's not Holy Spirit. It's Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. But 
Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, no problem. The Holy Ghost is the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, Spirit of Jesus. Same Spirit, one Spirit, right? Okay. You understand? I don't care if you say, Pastor, I got the Holy Spirit tonight. Well, praise the Lord. Good. Thank you, Jesus. Glad. Many of you come in and say, Hey, Pastor, I got the Holy Ghost. Well, I thought you got the Holy Spirit last week. And now you got the Holy Ghost tonight, and you said the, you had the Holy Spirit last week. Did you get a different one? No, of course you didn't. Holy Spirit is the Holy Ghost. Correct? That makes sense? It's just a different title. Um, God living inside of you. God, God in action. But the King James translators translated it Holy Ghost. So you would know it's the same spirit that was that is in the departed Jesus. It's not a different spirit. Get it? When they got the spirit on the day of Pentecost, that was the spirit of the Christ. The same one that was in him. The same one that was in him. Not a different one. The Holy Ghost. The one who was here on this earth. God has departed now. Has come back in another form. Not another person. Another form. But in a way never seen before in Old Testament days. But you knew this, Hayden. House, didn't you? You need to write a theological dissertation on everything I said tonight. I want you to bring it to me Sunday. <laughs> First thing you have to do is go home and find out what dissertation is. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, I understand. There's a friend of mine, a friend of my daughter's that lives on our block and He'll come over from time to time and we have a good time talking to him. Before I preached Sunday, I gave him this paper. The Holy Ghost gave told me, you go in there and you give this to him and, and have him do some investigation and study. So I went in there and I said, I want you to study Judges 9. Go from a dolphin's parable or fables and I want you to come back and explain it to me. Serious. About the trees. I said, I want you to explain the trees to me and I want you to explain to me talking trees and and I saw him yesterday. I said, hey, man, you, did you figure that out? Go from stable? And he, he came up with some, you know, some pretty good understanding. And then I just had to, you know, explain everything I shared with y'all. But I gave him uh, an assignment, you know, hallelujah. And I'm giving, I'm giving Hayden House an assignment to write a dissertation on what he's heard tonight. Theological dissertation. I want you to break it down theologically. Can you do that? Oh, okay. Are you here? Uh, are you hating? Don't know? If you don't know, I don't. If you don't know, man. Praise the Lord. That's why you better listen, because I might give you an assignment, man. We're not, don't give him the tape. Think you'll do it, church? You think you'll bring it to me Sunday? Bo, you got your hand up in faith. <laughs> do you understand what the Lord's trying to tell these disciples? Isn't it beautiful what He's doing for them? I think it's amazing. He didn't have to go to all that trouble. 
you know? Explain what he's going to do for them after he goes away physically. And just an awesome thing. Just one facet and understanding. Giving them understanding that he's coming to abide in them. And he's got places. To, I mean, just to manifest himself in and through you to the world. The age of the Spirit. Man, my mind. It's the Holy Ghost. Spirit of the departed Jesus. But the Comforter, said the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have, whatsoever I have said unto you. Right? Thank God for that. Man, you get up here, or you get up there and try to witness the people and tell them the word of God, and you didn't have the Holy Ghost quickening the word to you. You know, just speaking in and through you and, and interpreting the Christ to, to people. And what, where would we be without the Spirit? You can study, but you've got to have, you have to have anointing. You have to have the quickening of the Spirit. He has to interpret the Word for us. Understand? Oh, I love it. I thank God. Not powerless, man. He's going to teach you all things. He's going to bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you. It says peace now. Promise and peace. See, he's going full circle. Let not your heart be troubled. Peace I leave with you. I already told you. Commandments to obey. Love to yield to. Peace to enter into and joy to experience. This is a beautiful message. Peace I leave with you. Are you thankful for the peace of God today? Peace I leave with you. Did you know peace is something you can leave or take? You can leave your peace or you can take it. Peace, I leave with you. What encouraging words. My peace I give unto you, not as the world. You see what he's doing for you. What he's going to do for you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. You know why? Because the world, if the world gives you peace, they take it back. But Jesus Christ, when he gives you peace, he does not take that peace back. Peace. Peace. You have a lot of money and have no peace. You can have physical health and have no peace. There's no peace, saith my God, to you. No peace. You have peace tonight. You have peace with God. You have peace with man. You have peace. You have peace. Peace here is not the absence of war. But I'm in war, Pastor. So I don't have peace. Give me some perfect peace. Peace is not the absence of war. It's in the midst of war. In the midst of war. In the midst of battle. He gives you that peace. That's what he promises. Lord, I need your peace. Here we go. Let not your heart be troubled. Everything he said to you tonight was a cure for heart trouble. But you knew it all. You always do. But do you walk in it? Do I walk in it? 
And I'm asking you sincerely. Let not your heart be troubled. It's a command. Neither let it be afraid. He's fixing to be crucified before them openly before them in the morning. And what they're fixing to go through is telling them everything's going to be fine. Why it's necessary. He's promising peace. Not the absence of war, but in the midst of war. That's what He gives you. Let not your heart be troubled. But you can have me tell Him, let not your heart be troubled. Do you have a troubled heart tonight? Here for a troubled heart for the thing he told you. Neither let it be afraid. Don't sleep at night, read that verse right there. Lord, you told me not to live with a troubled heart. You told me not to be afraid. God, I need that right now. I need that in my life. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. And that beautiful how, Spirit. If you love me, you would rejoice. Joy that must be experienced. If you could see beyond just what you see. If you could see me really see me, you would see the Father. But because you are partially blind, you don't have a revelation of who He is. If you could see. If you love me, you would rejoice that you don't understand. You're not experiencing the joy you should be experiencing. Because you don't see. You don't have a revelation of who He is or what He's done for you or what He's doing for you now. You don't have joy. All you see and all I see at times is what's going on around me. I don't understand that the universe is the Father's dwelling place. It's not limited to this little natural pocket of time. Do you realize that all of these disciples, with the exception of John, are going to be martyred, put to death? In fact, history in some writings, history says John was martyred. I'm sure there's been many times I've stood before you and said John wasn't martyred. He's the only disciple that wasn't martyred to death. He survived. He died natural causes. But the more I study the life of John, there are some truth or writings that say he was also martyred. But he didn't die naturally. Then, if you're going to be martyred for Jesus Christ, you need to see, you need to have a revelation that there's something beyond this life. And if you're not martyred, if you're just trying to live life, Overwhelming. If you don't have a revelation of something beyond this, 
but he's saying experience peace. He said, you would rejoice. If you love me, you would rejoice. Because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Spirit is greater than his humanity. His deity is greater than his sonship. Enter into that joy. For my Father is greater than I. He's in control of everything. And what you're about to see, you're going to think that, that, he's, that the devil's in control. You're going to think that the battle's been lost. He's going to know it's victory. It's glory. And when they die, they're going to go to be with Him. Greatness of the Father. For my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it come to pass, you might believe. No wonder on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost is poured out. They're all gathered together in that upper room, you know. Right, really in the temple. Right in the temple when the Holy Ghost is poured out, you know. They, their love had brought them back together. Love for each other, love for the church brought them back together. Got them through a very hard time. And then the Holy Ghost is poured out on the day of Pentecost. And these cowards, Peter the Ghanaian, God had no place for him in his kingdom. And the boldness that came on those disciples. They said, a coward's bold to stand up and preach the gospel. And the joy that was in that church in the time of persecution, in the time of great suffering, they rejoiced when they let him up to be martyred. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to die for Jesus Christ. We need sight, and so do I. We need to see, we need the revelation. Now I told you before it come to pass that when it come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. Understand? Time is winding down. Thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Five chapters. All on the eve of his crucifixion. He's letting them know. He's fixing to die. He's going to be taken from him. Hereafter I will not talk much with you for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. And they're fixing to get up and they're fixing to walk out of the upper room and they're fixing to go to the garden of sin. And he's going to keep teaching. He's going to talk about the true vine. 14 is what God's doing for you. 15 is what you're doing for Him. When we talk about the vine next week. It is so awesome, the truth that is in there. He's going to keep teaching him. He's going to get out of that room. He's going to walk. He's going to keep talking to you about being a true vine. He's a vine, we're the branches. He's going to keep talking to you. He said, but I'm not going to talk much longer because he said, the prince of this world coming. It's not just Judas that's coming. He knows that out there in the darkness of the night, this group of temple soldiers and 
Judas Iscariot, they're coming after him. They're going to come and get him regardless of sending. He knows that. He didn't say, Judas, he says, the prince of this world. Right? Satan, working in and through Judas, is coming. And have nothing in me. Disciples, when they take me and they nail me to a cross, understand that it's not a victory over me by Satan. He has nothing in me. It's not a victory for Satan. He has nothing in me. It's the will of the Father. He had nothing in me. God is still in control. The Father is still in control. The one who's coming, the Prince of the world, He's not in control. He's already told Him. He said, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the Prince of this world cast out. He said, now. He didn't say it's going to happen at the eschaton, the second coming of Jesus Christ. He said, now is the prince of this. Now is the judgment of this world. Now is the prince of this world cast out. When did he do it? At the cross. He's going to judge the prince of the world. He's going to cast him out at the cross. This is not a victory for Satan. This is a victory. God. God is in control. He's telling the disciples, you need to know that. God is in control. Do you have a revelation tonight that the, the judgment of the world is in the past? Or in your mind, do you think the judgment of the world is still future? The judgment of the world is in the past. Do you think in the future the prince is going to be cast out? He was cast out at Calvary. He was defeated at Calvary. Do you have a revelation of that? Yes, in an ultimate sense. There are future events at his second coming. I know that. But I'm trying to get, Jesus is trying to give you a revelation that the world has already been judged and the prince has already been cast out. He's defeated. He has nothing in me, said Jesus. Nothing. Nothing he can lay hold of on the inside of me. Thank God for the truth, man. Thank God for the truth. But that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandments, even so I do. That's what it's all about. Going to the cross and to die the Father's will. Arise, let us go hence. He walks out of the upper room, takes his disciples to the garden of Simeon. And talks about the tree vine. 
As far as I know in the Old Testament, every time the vine is mentioned, it's always heavy. It's, the Old Testament, it, it never is doing what it was supposed to do. So Jesus says, that you put a new vine in the earth that will fulfill what the Old Testament vine typified and never fulfilled. He said, I'm bringing it to pass. You're living in an age right now, the age of the Spirit, that far surpasses anything in the Old Testament. You're living in fulfillment days, you're living in the age of the Spirit. The day of Pentecost came, like a big tidal wave. The age of the Spirit. God invading into time in the Spirit like never before. Are you living in that new covenant right now with a, with a love that is greater than anything the Old Testament ever knew about? With a manifestation of God's Spirit inside of you that the Old Testament did not realize? These are the greatest days that the world has ever seen for the church. You're a part of it. I pray you understand what God is doing and what He has done for you that He might Reveal himself to the church. It's beautiful dying. That's why he did what he did. And then reveal himself through the church to the world. Are you glad tonight that you're his mansion? I'm glad tonight I'm his mansion. Thank you, Jesus. I need that. Father, I thank you right now for your goodness. I thank you for your word tonight. I give you glory and honor.